Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry, and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. Today, we're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry, along with some of our own considerations. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, please enjoy today's program. The city of Jerusalem in the weeks and months following Christ's ascension was a very lively place. This city of great tradition as the religious center of the world was virtually shaken to its footings by a group of uneducated and outwardly lowly people but people living in the power and the enjoyment of the resurrected and ascended Christ. Their story and God's eternal plan are unveiled in the New Testament book of Acts. Don't miss today's life study of the Bible with Witness Lee as we get a priceless view into the very heart of God. This program is furnished by Living Stream Ministry and features the ministry of Witness Lee, a faithful servant of Christ who labored and ministered for more than 70 years until going to rest with his Lord in 1997. We have recorded excerpts of his ministry today, and with us to enjoy what I believe is a truly classic message in the annals of Bible exposition on the book of Acts is Dick Taylor. Dick, welcome back to the broadcast. It's good to be here. Dick, Jerusalem following the Lord's ascension was quite a place, wasn't it? It sure was. We're coming to chapter 4 in Acts today, and I think that to get the full impact of what we will hear, it's important to have some background. Help us out, Dick. Well, we have a tremendous healing that has taken place in chapter 3 of Acts. And this took place in uh, what was the despised name of Jesus, but the most wonderful name in the whole universe. And as a result of the healing of this lame man through these... uh, as you mentioned, uneducated uh, Galilean fishermen, Peter and the others, uh, there was no small stir because of where it happened and because among whom it happened. It was causing a real belief by thousands of people in this rejected Jesus who is now the living, resurrected, saving Christ. And uh, here was Peter and the others were there with only one burden, and that was to propagate this Christ whether they were accepted or they were rejected. So this was a real hot scene. Dick, I'm glad you used the word propagated. It may seem that the focus here, the subject matter of this chapter, was the healing. But really, this is the beginning of the propagation of the resurrected Christ. That's true. As we can see through Peter speaking, his focus was not on the great miracle, but on the healer himself. And what a propagation of this dear one was transpiring in chapter 4. Dick, let's go to Witness Lee. We're going to hear about how Peter spoke about the healer. Now, we have to find out in these verses, what is the crucial point? The crucial point, again, is the healer. Because the focus of the situation on that day is a reason of all the problems. And the problems 
are this. Number one, the thing happened not outside of the holy city. The thing happened just on the premise of the temple. Uh, even the persons who got involved all were there in the temple. It happened in the temple. Number one. And number two, the rulers, the administrators of the temple, that is, of the uh, Judaism, didn't uh, agree with these kind of move in the name of the one whom they denied and they condemned to death and they killed. And number three, a lame man who'd been uh, all the time begging at the temple for years probably. So every temple goer noticed that he was a beggar there. But in the morning, about nine o'clock, this man all of a sudden got healed. Who can deny? And he was healed just by the mentioning of the name of Jesus. He was healed not by anything else. Not by gold or silver, not by human ability, not by physical riches. No, just by a poor name of a despised, even denied and killed Nazareth. This was another factor of the problem. And then the fourth point of the problem is that the troublemakers were all Galileans, not people in Jerusalem. They came from the north, a kind of despised country, Galilee. Lastly, all the situation became a turmoil. It was hard for the Jewish rulers to handle the situation. Could you go along with these Galilean fishers? Sure you could not. Could you take the name of the denied and killed Jesus? Sure you can't. Then the leaders could not keep silent any longer. So they all came together and they had a council. That council is bigger in power than today's Senate of the U.S. Because apart from the Senate, you have the president. And the Senate cannot decide for anything just by itself. So they came together as that council to uh, make a decision. They handled this matter in a very cautious way. They were unhappy. Uh, they became indignant with uh, all these Galilean fishers. Yet, because of the fact that a lame man became healed, so they handled this thing in a very cautious way. The record of Rook says they couldn't find a way to punish these uh, offenders because a fact was there that was recognized, even glorified by the people. 
they still have to go with the people. Otherwise, they'll be stoned to death. The people, they don't have weapons, but according to the uh, Jewish law, they have the stones. They just threaten them not to speak any longer in this name. Dick, I'd like to bring every one of our listeners into the scene that is before us in Acts chapter 4. Peter and the disciples were carrying on very innocently, it seems, and people were getting saved and others getting healed and all of this to the glory of God. But the religious leaders just couldn't take it. What were the causes of their apprehension and their examination of the brothers here? The causes were about fivefold. Number one, this uh, miracle by Christ the healer with this lame man through these uneducated Galilean fishermen took place on the premises of the temple, and you could even say in the temple. So all the people and all the attention was there at the temple. Supposedly, this is the holy temple. But all of these ones who were opposing Jesus were missing the Holy One who is Jesus himself. So number one, it took place at the temple. Number two, the rulers of the temple didn't agree with this kind of a move uh, in the name of Jesus, whom they had despised, whom they had rejected, who they had condemned to death, and even whom they had killed. They didn't agree with this. So you can see this was quite a stirring up. And they were apprehending and examining because of this. Number three, it was a lame beggar. Their translations indicate that he was carried there and placed before the door of the temple for years. And he was born lame. So he was known for years as this beggar, and he's the one who was standing there before them in good health and saying it was all because of the name of Jesus. So this caused no small stir. And then fourth, the troublemakers, apparent troublemakers, quote-unquote, Peter and the others, were all not from their neighborhood. They weren't from Jerusalem. They were from another area, a despised area, a despised country of Galilee. And they were fishermen and uh, uneducated. It transpired through them, so this also caused a lot of trouble. Number five, Sanhedrin, that is the rulers, came together, had a council. They apprehended them and were deciding what to do with them. They were afraid because many thousands were believing in Christ, and they did not know what to do. So even they apprehended, they weren't sure what to do with them. Then they decided not to punish them, so they just said, don't speak in this name anymore. But this charge didn't do anything except release the boldness of Christ in and through Peter and all the disciples for the propagation of the resurrected and ascended Christ into men. Dick, we're going to go back and pick up Witness Lee and see a little more closely this continuing examination. Then we have to go to their dealing. They ask Peter and John, tell us, in what kind of power you did this? That was a kind of examination. The leaders exercised a kind of examination over Peter and John. Then that gave a good opportunity for Peter to present 
the healer further. So uh, chapter 4 is a continuation of Peter's presentation of the healer. You have to remember, in chapter 3, he presented the healer in six aspects. God's servant, the holy one, the righteous one, the author of life, the prophet, and the seed, in whom all the families on this earth are blessed. Could you say, this is all for us. This is the benefit for us. But now, in this continuation, Peter continued to present the healer as something for God. From my youth, over 60 years, I heard gospel preaching a number of times. The preachers quoted verse 12. I think many of you should have heard Acts 4, 12. There is no salvation in other name, for neither is there another name under heaven given among men in which we must be saved. Then what is in verse 11? Okay, this is the stone. The stone is the Savior. This is the stone which was despised by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there's no salvation in any other name, for neither is there another name under heaven given among men in which we must be saved. No other name is given. Only this name. Name of Jesus. Who is Jesus? It's a stone. We have a stone savior. In the four gospels, we have the <laughs> king savior. We have the slave savior. We have the man savior. And we have the God savior. Hallelujah. In the fifth gospel, we have the stone savior. Our stone is not only a king, a slave, a man, and God, but also a stone. No one ever paid any attention to verse 11. Go back to verse 9. If today we are being examined, we got a good deed done to a sick man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you all. Peter was bold. Let it be known to all and to all the people of Israel that in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, in this name, this man stand before you well. This is the stone. <laughs> so strange. Peter was not a scholar. He didn't get a PhD. Uneducated. This is the stone which was despised by you. You. Who are you? High priest. All the leaders of Shenzhen. Who are you? You are the builders. This stone was despised by you, the builders. Well, Dick, in Peter's defense, in face of the serious examination by the Sanhedrin, there's an oft-quoted verse, very popular in gospel preaching, and that is verse 12 of chapter 4. For neither is there another name under heaven given among men in which we must be saved. This is a marvelous verse to which we strongly echo amen. 
But leaving out verse 11 is really quite a critical omission, isn't it, Dick? Can you explain that? It is really a critical omission, and what a help we've received from this ministry related to this matter. Because in uh, verse 12 it says, like you mentioned, there's no other name under heaven given among men in which we must be saved. But you go back to verse 11, and you see that this one, this Jesus Christ, is the stone. It says in verse 11, this is the stone. We need to go back to verse 10, where Peter was bold to say, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God has raised from the dead, in this name this man stands before you in good health. This is the stone. So the one that is the name in which we must be saved, Jesus Christ, he is also revealed here as the stone, which is really, really precious. We could say, as our brother Lee has mentioned in this message, that Christ is not only in the Gospel of Matthew, the King Savior, not only in Mark, the Slave Savior, not only in Luke, the Man Savior, and not only in the book of John, the God Savior, but in the fifth Gospel, the Gospel of Acts, where he's the resurrected and ascended and poured out one, he is revealed as the stone savior. And this is really, really critical. It's serious to omit this and to miss Christ as the stone. Why? Because if you see how Christ was revealed in chapter 3 through Peter's preaching, he was revealed as the healer, no doubt. But this healer, this healer Christ, was God's servant, number one. He was the Holy One, number two. He was the Righteous One. He was the author of life. He was the prophet. And lastly, he was the seed through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. All six of these items of Christ mentioned in chapter 3 are all for our benefit. Now we come to a big item of Christ And Christ is revealed here as the stone Savior. When we hear the word stone, this should take us to God's eternal purpose, to God's economy. And that is God's desire to have a habitation for himself and for his people that he might be properly and adequately expressed. So when we hear stone, the cornerstone is the one in whom we must be saved And to enjoy this one as our salvation is to meet God's need. This is not just for our benefit, but this is for God's benefit. This experience of Christ makes you really happy because you enter into God's satisfaction and pleasure when you enjoy Christ as the stone Savior. When we see Peter speaking, Dick, in these both chapters, really, chapter 3 and chapter 4 together, we have the whole package Peter speaking to the people specifically about Christ, the one able to meet their need, the healer, not the healing. That's right. And then to the religious leaders, pointing them to God's need. That's true. This is the whole gospel, isn't it? It, That's wonderful. Not just our need, but also God's need. The two must go together. The two must go together. What a Christ we have. What a Christ we have. Let's go back to Witness Lee, Dick. I was born into Christianity. I was raised up there for years. In those years, I never checked verse 11. I never checked 
what about the stone and who were the builders? And what they were building? I never checked. Those leaders, even they didn't know. They didn't know God's economy. God's economy is just to build His habitation in this universe. Heaven is not God's habitation. Heaven is just a temporary residence for God to stay. The Bible tells us clearly God is not satisfied with heaven being His place to stay. So, the New Testament plus the Old Testament both reveal to us that God has an economy. I say plan. Economy. God's economy is God's plan to get something done. And this something is just his eternal habitation. His eternal habitation is just his blending with man. His mingling with humanity. Anything else than the mingling of God with man cannot be qualified to God's dwelling place. When you come to New Testament, you can see the incarnation of Jesus was a kind of a tabernacle. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. In this one verse, John 1, 14, you could see the mingling in the incarnation of God with man to be his tabernacle. Then you go on from John chapter 1 to John 14. And John 14 begins to say, He that loves me, and my father will love him, and my father and I will go to him to make our boot with him. The son and the father will go to his lover to make a boat. Then, chapter 15 of John, it says, Abide in me, and I in you. You have to be my abiding place, and then I'll become your abiding place. Abide in me, that I may abide in you. Be my abode, that I can be your abode, the Lord Jesus told them, you Jewish people, the leaders, you should be builders. But eventually, you tear down this temple. But I will build it up in three days. In resurrection, I'll build up what you have torn down. Then we know, this building up in resurrection does not only imply Jesus Christ himself only, but it implies all his believers. And eventually he and all his believers are built together to be what? To be the very habitation of God, which is called in the New Testament the house of God, which is the church. Now you can see God's economy is to build an eternal habitation for himself and for his chosen people. 
And this habitation is just the mingling of himself with his children people. Dick, this was a classic presentation by Witness Lee of the central point on God's heart, his economy for the building of his eternal habitation for himself and for his chosen people. In this ministry, it's only a matter of time before we're brought back to this point again and again, because the Bible itself continually brings us back to this place, doesn't it, Dick? It sure does, and that's why I treasure this ministry, which is being ministered over the radio right now. It brings us back to God's eternal purpose and his heart's desire. God's economy and God's goal, his plan, is to have a habitation. John 1.14 tells us a little bit about this habitation, what it's like. The word Christ became flesh and tabernacled among us. Well, who was this? This was God mingled and blended with man. This God-man Jesus was God's tabernacle, God's dwelling place. God was dwelling in the man, and the man was dwelling in God. And God is expressed through the man, and God is the content of this man. This is God's dwelling place. But then later we see how we're included. In John 14:23, it says, If any man loves me and keeps my word, my Father and I, we will love him, and we will come and make an abode with him. We will make a habitation with him. We will dwell together with him. And then lastly, in John 15:4, it says, Abide in me. We abide in God as our habitation. He says, And I abide in you. So God's economy is his desire to have a habitation for himself and for his chosen people, a wonderful mutual dwelling place. And one more verse, Chris, I'd like to just mention, and that is Ephesians 2.22. It says, in this Christ, we are being builded together into a dwelling place or a habitation of God in the Spirit. So this habitation is not some kind of physical thing. This is altogether the blending and the mingling of God himself with his chosen people transpiring in our spirit. May we exercise our spirit and enjoy this stone Savior Christ every day. Lord Jesus, we love you. Dick, isn't that a wonderful phrase? A habitation of God in spirit. Amen. What a promise and a hope for God's people. It really is. Tremendous life study today, Dick. I'm really happy that you were here to be a part of it. I enjoyed this very much. Me too. We would like to offer this to the Lord too and then commend it to his people. We Amen. trust that there was light and refreshment and enjoyment and nourishment in this broadcast today. Uh, if you'd like the printed message in its entirety as it was uh, given by Witness Lee in 1985, that printed message along with 17 others is included in volume one of the Life Study of Acts and we have made that available to all of our listeners to this broadcast, and if you'll call our toll-free number, we'll give you the information about how to receive this volume. And that number that you can call to find out about how to receive this Life Study volume is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 543-3788. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. We have many messages left in the book of Acts. We invite you back tomorrow with Witness Lee. For Dick Taylor today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening.
You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee ministered the Word of God for over seven decades. Many consider these life studies as his seminal work, an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Spirit. If you'd like to find more about Witness Lee, these life study messages, or any of the materials provided by Living Stream Ministry, please visit our website, lsm.org. That's lsm.org. You can also email us, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. Thanks for listening today.